Welcome to the Misfit Messengers podcast, hosted by Jenny Moffitt and Amanda Hoshite. Hello, good evening, friend. How are you today? Uh, you know, probably better than I deserve, but I'm doing all right. Hanging in there. It's another great Sunday. I've got all, okay, okay. Do you actually know? Want to know? Like, I, I feel like I peaked a little bit this afternoon. You because peaked. I. A little bit because I made homemade bread from scratch. I made chicken noodle soup from scratch and I did a load of laundry, folded it and put it away. Wow. Woo. So that, I, that is a day. I feel okay. I feel all right. And told a taught a doctrine class and a, did a sermon. So it's been a, it's been a fulfilled day. That's fantastic. I ate a bunch of really good food today. That is, uh, yep. Congrats. And I, attempted to bring a smile to the face of the lady at the checkout counter at the grocery store oh. but i don't think i succeeded i was gonna say attempted does it okay yeah because she she's like well how are you doing and i said i'm doing fantastic she's like really i said yeah i'm having a great day and she said well i'm not poor lady <laughs> yeah so be praying for that individual at the <laughs> checkout counter at Please. the grocery store you know, the first step to help is honesty. Yeah. Got to admit it. Got to admit it. Yeah. So if this is your first uh, time, welcome to the Misfit Messengers podcast. Um, this is uh, Amanda and Jenny. We just uh, hang out and talk about God and scripture and life. And um, sometimes it makes sense. And sometimes, well, it always almost always makes sense to us, at least. Hopefully it makes sense to people who are listening. Um, but just the idea that we are walking this journey of faith and encouraging one another and hopefully encouraging you listeners out there as well. We are in the middle of a series on the book of Nehemiah, specifically as kind of looked at from a leadership development perspective uh, with help from the book by David McKenna called Becoming Nehemiah, Leading with Significance. And today, I'm excited about today, because today we actually get to dive in to scripture and kind of okay. look from the perspective of Nehemiah's life and how he has developed some of his leadership skills in the situation that he we find him in, in the very couple first chapters of the book. So I'm excited. Yeah. So uh, we had talked a lot about... Um the beginning of his story, um, even though we didn't read it from like verbatim from scripture, but you know, just we talked a lot about the last two weeks about um, where he's coming from, what it means to be a cupbearer, and um, you know, God placing him in such a time that he was um, for God to use him. And so, we are going to kind of just jump a little bit to chapter two. Of mm -hmm. Nehemiah. Yep. So yeah, because we have covered a little bit of that first chapter, um, kind of his hearing about Jerusalem in trouble and his uh, speaking to God, actually praying and fasting and really repenting on, on behalf of his whole people, which is as incredible as it's in its own set, have, having the wherewithal to understand that when you're repenting, not just for your own sins or for your own self, but on behalf of the nation of Israel 
which at that juncture really wasn't a nation any longer. They were in exile in yeah. in Babylon. Uh, at that juncture, it's controlled by Persia. But yeah, do you want to read from Nehemiah chapter two? I do, I do. Now I now I'm reading straight out of the book, and I actually do not know what version this is. But that's okay. I'm not sure either. It doesn't doesn't say. Doesn't say. But okay, okay. This is Nehemiah chapter two, verses one through six. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah, where my fathers are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Do you want me it's to keep the going? NIV. No, hang on. It's the NIV, in case you're curious. All right. I do want to make a, a reference to one thing that always has impressed me about Nehemiah, and it comes in this section of text. Okay. And it's right there when the, the king said to me, what is it you want? And what does Nehemiah do? He says, then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. Right. It's. I feel like it's a little bit like a dark prayer, like, a, like an arrow yeah. straight up to God. At the si same time he's talking to the king, Lord, give me the words okay, King, this is what I need. And it's one of those aspects about Nehemiah that consistently comes up in his life is that he places prayer to God as a vitally important priority in his life. Mm. And I think we could learn a lot about how to make decisions, how to interact with people, how to have good conversations with people if we started from a foundation of prayer. Yeah, and I, I think it really reframes um, things, too. So I was just talking, uh, so I um, it's November, so in, in our congregation, we're doing a thankfulness series on uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And today was on Christ, and um, the main focus was Jesus at the center and saying, you know, in every in every conversation that I'm having, you know, that you're having with somebody, um, keeping thankfulness to God for them through the work that Jesus is doing, even if they're not saved, right? But we know provenient grace that God is still calling and God is still working in their lives. And so in every interaction, being aware of the glory and goodness of God, mm. um, really, ref really um, frames that conversation. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially when people are difficult. Yes. Um, and I and I'm seeing that here with Nehemiah, not not necessarily about thankfulness, but just about an awareness of God's presence. Yeah. You know, like keeping I like because this is like an in the moment thing. Mm -hmm. But even before he answers, even though he's thought about this, he's been fasting. He was waiting for the moment. 
But even when the moment came, he didn't just say he he still stopped and re- remembered God that God is it that this is God's thing, not his thing. Yeah, absolutely. Not good stuff. I can get this last section if you'd like. Sure. All right. So Nehemiah chapter two verses seven through ten. So said I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the Trans Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Sorry, Sanballat and Tobiah. They come in later. They do again and again. But so it's interesting. You know, last time we talked about the kind of four things that that David McKenna brings up as far as leadership, and they are context, character, crucible and competency. So in each of these kind of sections of Nehemiah's life, he goes through each one of those categories. And so in the context of what's going on in Nehemiah's life, and we've talked a little bit about this in the last couple of weeks, that he's a man living as an Israelite in exile in the the land of Babylon, controlled by Persians. Artaxerxes is there uh, as the really despotic king However, he has this kind of soft spot for Nehemiah. And no doubt if Nehemiah has been a gracious and um, loyal servant, that that makes some sense, right? But the Mm -hmm. context is definitely, he's not in a position of any power really uh, in in and of himself. He's he's a man under authority. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet... He's kind of positioned himself in the context in which he is ready for the next thing. And that's, you know, one of the things that we sometimes get bogged down on is, well, if if I were in this position or if I were in this place or if I was in this uh, job or if I was in this situation, I would do X. And I think what this book kind of looks at is, that doesn't matter about what you would do if you were in. It's what are you doing now? Yeah. In your current context, in your current situation, how are you working towards competencies? How are you working towards learning and growing? How are you positioning yourself in the context in which you're in now yeah. to prepare yourself for a future context? Because if all you think about is the future context, then you might lose sight of the opportunities that surround you in your current situation. Right. Yeah. And that we talked about this a little bit last week, you know, like when we, me, Jenny and me and you who are leaders are looking to raise people up as leaders. The first step is to look at people who are already leading, right? Or already, you know, showing interest in whatever the thing is, you know, or already there, already invested. Um, mm-hmm. 
um, even without recognition, right? That's kind of your first step of, of who's already here, right? Who do I already have? And, um, you know, I like what the author talked about in this, in this chapter. He talks about the fact that Nehemiah became such a good leader is because he knew how to serve. Yeah. Yep. He knew what it was like to be under authority well. Because um, you, I mean, we find this in in every context, in families, in business, and um, whatever. There, there are people always who think, yeah, like you said, if I was in charge, it'd be different. You know, if we just got these people out, and I got in there, then all the problems would go away, and everything would be fine. And um, that almost never ever plays out well. Um, you know, just even. Even historically, with uh, different uh, countries taking over other countries and so they just never, it just generally doesn't work out. Um, right. But but Nehemiah knew how to serve well, and um, and he and like you said, he positioned himself just humbly and graciously, but also had the courage to know what to ask for. Right. Because of what so sometimes. Now you're not supposed to do this all the time, but sometimes I put myself into characters of scripture. Okay. And I'm thinking, if this was me, honestly, I I am sir, I I've I've grown up in exile. I'm serving in the palace. I hear, you know, that the walls are, you know, the temples keep has been built, but it keeps being raided, and the walls keep getting thrown down, and all these people are like, like sheep waiting for slaughter, and I'd be sad about it, like Nehemiah. But if the king asked me, um, what would you do? My, I might even just be like, what can you do? Yeah. You know? Oh, alas, what can be done? Uh, you know, oh, like, <laughs> I, I know I, I don't like that about myself, but I think that's my honest, like. <laughs> Absolutely. Thing of he, like. You know, you gotta, you gotta wonder though. He didn't go to the king immediately upon hearing the news. Right, he right. prayed and fasted first, mm. and I think sometimes we want to rush to a conclusion. We want to rush to a decision. We want to rush to the next thing. Right? We live in a in a instant oatmeal society. Right? Okay. Gosh, if it takes Facebook thirty seconds to load, you're going to the next thing. Right? Mm -hmm. But he waited, and maybe during that fasting and prayer time, he got a revelation of this is what it's supposed to look like. Or maybe he just got yeah. the spirit kind of gave him a a peace or a calm about when the time is right, you'll know. Yeah. And I'll give you the words or I'll give you what. Or maybe he because he did live in the under authority, right? He serves well under the authority of the king. Maybe he had seen and observed enough in his job to realize what he would need to actually build the walls of a city. Yeah. Because yeah. he paid attention around him. And he, if he's the cupbearer to the king and he's in the middle of the court, uh, when the king is hearing uh, different requests for things or with his advisors or with his political guys, he's listening and hearing and remembering all these things. He's noticing these things. And so maybe because of his experience of being in the court, being around the king, being around power and authority, he's observed and kind of made mental notes of those things. So when it comes time to say the walls of Jerusalem need to be rebuilt, I kind of have a, I kind of know what needs to be done. 
That's a good insight. That's not something I thought of before. It really wasn't something I thought of before until just right this second as we're talking about it. So that happens a lot when I think about it. But, but it makes sense that, so one of the things that if good leaders will learn in any context or situation, because they'll be observing, they'll be watching, they'll be noticing things that no one else notices. And honestly, David McKenna puts that, that Nehemiah was a first-class noticer. Mm. And it makes sense that if you can notice the little details, if you can notice the things around you, you can anticipate needs. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I think of it as uh, he actually talks about it, I think, as there's a a point guard uh, from basketball must be in an era that was b- before my time that had had a signature no look pass was this guy's kind of signature move and okay. why did he give a no look pass well because he observes far enough ahead on the court to know where his teammates going to be so he doesn't have to be watching he doesn't have to be looking cuz he just knows he can pass it to that place and that teammate's going to be there I'm going to be there yeah and so you know if you're if you're noticing and anticipating things just tuck that away. Sometimes you don't need it in the moment. You're like, okay, well, I'm mm-hmm. just going to tuck that away uh, for maybe another day. I'm going to tuck tuck that interactional, interaction away. So yesterday, once a month, our congregation, we do a movie night, and we're in the process of watching through uh, the Chosen series, which is the, okay. the TV series by Angel Studios about the life of Jesus and specifically, more specifically, the disciples. And of course, there are things in there that are definitely in Scripture and and uh, almost verbatim. And then there are other things that are extrapolations and definitely a, a film about the Bible rather than being straight scripture. Right. Uh, but there are things that you can notice between interactions of people that if you're paying attention can foreshadow to things that will come. You're like, hmm, I see what you did there. Right. But the same thing can happen in real life when you're interacting with people, when you're noticing the way people are sitting. I mean, think about the king noticing that Nehemiah is sad. Yeah. Right. If the if Nehemiah had never come into the presence of the king sad and for him to notice that. That was a perfectly divine opportunity for Nehemiah to step up and to speak the words that he spoke. And so there's lots of, so I, I love kind of the the competencies that David McKenna pulls out that Nehemiah has learned under these these years as a cupbearer. And, mm-hmm. and actually before he became a cupbearer, that's the thing, you know, one of the things that in my life, each kind of stage of my life, you I try to learn things and you never know when those skills might be useful for, for example, I worked at a grocery store for over a decade. And I will tell you that those skills I learned at the grocery store, I'm putting into practice as a Salvation Army officer. Not all of them, but many of them, especially when it comes to reading budgets, understanding financial statements, understanding ledger columns and, you know, profitability, even though we're a nonprofit, but the whole idea of making sure that you don't spend more money than you bring in kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But also ways in which to handle coats for kids and toys for tots. 
um, how to deal with a big truck that comes in for commodities once a month and navigating, you know, redistributing food and things like that. So each step of the way, God is taking those things that you are learning, taking those contexts you're in, and he's building you into the into the thing that he wants you to be. Well, and same thing. So, right. So I studied uh, theater, right, which I think yep. we talked about a little bit, too. And um, the same thing goes, right? When you're in theater and you're on stage with someone, you have to be anticipating the next person's lines and movements and nuances to know if something goes wrong, they forgot a line or a prop wasn't brought out or X, Y, Z. You need to be able to adapt quickly Mm -hmm. to keep the scene running, you know? And that's something I've had to do of read people's cues read uh, the room, read the nonverbal um, to anticipate if something is going wrong, to be able to wing something up, right? And those are all, again, um, the Holy Spirit has used that for good in my context, right? Those are skills I never thought. I just really thought I wasted all my money in college, which is kind of true. But but God is still... uh, still using you know yeah. those that stuff you know uh, no no knowledge is wasted agreed 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 some more uh competencies that he pulls out from nehemiah so yeah i love okay i want to get back to real quick before we jump into the other ones is that authority thing that mm. nehemiah learns to serve under authority here's here's a kicker friends it says this uh, Neo, in the case of Nehemiah, he's under the heel of an authoritarian boot. He has mm. a choice. Will he be a wimp, a rebel, or a leader? The mm. way in which an individual handles authority is a key to leadership development. Friends, you might be in an authoritarian situation where your leader, your boss, your employer, your parent, your Fill in the blank is an authoritarian. Now it's not fun to be under an authoritarian leader. It's not, Mm -hmm. that's not an enjoyable experience generally as a rule, but you kind of have a choice. Are you going to be a wimp, a rebel or a leader? And I can tell you that only one of those is helpful (laughs) (laughs) because if you're going to be a rebel, then you're probably going to get squashed. And if you're a wimp, like a doormat, you're probably going to get swashed. Mm -hmm. So how do you lead? And this is where Nehemiah kind of shines in this context. He figures out how to not lose his identity as a Jew, as a follower of God, in the context of being under an authoritarian king. That's a pretty nifty skill set if you can have it. Even so, because he grew up away from it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, friends, if you are an author- under under an authoritarian, please don't be a wimp. Please don't be a rebel. Just be a leader. Because you can lead from a position of no authority. There's a difference between authority and leadership, right? They yeah. aren't synonymous terms. You can be a leader without having any authority whatsoever. Oh, yeah. in fact he uses an example i don't know 
uh, I'm going to bring this up just because I think it's very helpful, especially if you listening are in a position of you're under authority of an, especially an authoritarian leader. But this is, it says, I recall two subordinates in institutions where I served. The first was a graduate of a military academy who had learned the meaning of orders and obedience. Even though our styles of leadership differed measurably, I knew I could always trust him to take charge in my absence without trying to usurp my authority or break the chain of command. Hmm. Another member of one of my leadership teams proved to be the opposite. He had been abused by the inconsistent authority of an alcoholic father, and his brilliance thus carried the shadow of a rebellious ambition. Time and time again, I had to deal with his attempts to undermine my authority, alienate his peers, and demean his subordinates. Our relationship uh, vacillated between deference and defiance until the line of trust was broken and we had to part company. Whether for good or for bad, the fire of the crucible determines how we handle authority. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, that's again what you said, right? That proof is in the pudding. Yep. It can be hard to know how we will react until we are reacting. But you can train, right? Yeah. Just like how um, they train horses to ride on the carriages like in New York. Yeah. It goes against everything in the horse's nature to be there. Right. How do they do it? Right. They train. They train it. Um, I have a random question, Jenny. So, you know, flight, uh, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Yeah. React triggers, right? Which mm-hmm. one? Which one are which one are you? Um, I'm not any single individual one. Okay. It depends on the context. It depends on who I'm with. Um, mm. Depends on usually what is needed in the situation. Um, I tend to react very differently based on the company I'm in. Um, because I tend to, in my life traditionally, like as I've looked through, I tend to fill a gap that is needed. Gotcha. Is how I've worked. So, so if everyone else is freezing and action needs to happen, I will act. I will fight or flee depending on, um, but I will, I will like do the thing that needs doing. If someone else has taken charge and I kind of feel like their actions are tolerable, then I can freeze but usually I fill in the gap. I've, I've been a gap filler for most of my adult life. Um, so if no one else is taking, I, I dislike immensely a vacuum of leadership. So in any given group of people, generally it is really hard for me not to, to just jump in and take charge if no one else is. So how about you? Um, I freeze. It's the worst. It's the worst of all of them. In action, you know, inaction is not always the worst thing. It depends on the thing. So the, the other, the other thing is about what's the context of the situation, because sometimes waiting is actually the best move. Yeah. Let this situation play out. Now, if it's a car accident and someone's bleeding to death, freezing is not the option. Right. Well, one time I was almost hit by a car because I got scared. And I just stopped in the middle of the road and was like, ah. You probably, probably don't do that. I don't. Do that. That was, 
This is the worst. Now, I did freeze in a moment in Hungary where a young young woman got hit by a car and run over. But that's because I literally went, I don't know how I can help. I can't dial 911 because that's not a thing here in Hungary. I don't speak the language, so I can't, like, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. So I froze then, but other people were in action because they could do, because I was like, I no idea what to do in emergency in this foreign country. Anyway. I will tell you though, I am different though when it comes to my children. Oh, I'm sure you fight. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like you're, you're mama bear with that. Like, And there was a time when, uh, when someone tried to um, attack my front desk lady and I like, I don't know. I hit him with a chair. Well, I pushed the chair. Like, yeah. But I didn't even like remember it happening. I was just like, Wah! like, and I got him. But everyone was like, what happened? And I'm like, I have no idea. Because I, I don't know. But it was okay. I filed all the necessary reports and the person was fine. That's, that's good. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but uh, again, that'll tell you a lot about yourself, right, though? Mm-hmm. Um, is what is my natural response and we can we can grow in those things. And I I am a true believer in any amount of growth is you have to be realistic about who you actually are. Yes. You have you to know, be honest about where you're starting from. So, so I'm going to tell you my daughter, my sweet daughter, she's 10 years old. And she is if someone talks to her that she doesn't know she is a deer in the headlights. She will go behind me. She will try to shrink herself as small as humanly possible and just wait for them to not be talking to her anymore. That's her just general MO. And um, we were walking in a parking lot and I asked my youngest son to hold my hand and he was saying no. And then my oldest son said, well, if you don't hold mom's hand, someone could come up and grab you which i said thanks a lot buddy this kid is four let's just put that in his head i mean okay so but then my daughter says if someone tried to grab my little brother i'm gonna kick him in the face and scream and you know throat punch him and stuff and i'm saying you what (laughs) what um are you I think we need a little more realistic view of, of who we actually are and uh, what would actually work in that situation. Cause I'm thinking if someone were to come grab her, knowing how she has reacted to strangers in the past where she pretty much just freezes and like becomes like a sack of potatoes. Um, I don't think you would start drop kicking everyone in the face. Now maybe, but I'm doubtful. <laughs> right. This juncture, so, she's not tall enough to do that. Right. Well, yes. But I'm saying, well, let's train for when I feel afraid. Right. How can I calm myself enough to start to scream and yell and flail and make a scene, which has not, you know, but but if I just let her go with the notion like, oh, yeah, when something bad happens, I'll just, you know, become Bruce Lee and just kick everyone's butts. Well, um, why do why does the military and police and fire do drills? Right. Oh, so yeah, that yeah. they train themselves so that in a moment they they're just they're going to react because it's been trained into them right yeah. we just had well at my former corps we're going to be doing it soon here we had a uh, shooter drill mm. 
or you know an intruder drill and some people are saying i we don't know why we need to to do this because the big thing is get yourself to say right um protect the little ones get yourself to safety and no point whatsoever do you try to attack the gunman or whatever right like right and they're like, well, no, like, that's what you need to do. And it says, no, because what you're going to do is get everyone killed, including yourself, most likely yourself. Because right. what happens is if someone's attacking and everyone thinks, oh, I've seen John Wayne and like all just start to like. <laughs> well, then when they're not when they don't have the skill. Right. Yeah. Then. It's not going to end well, so we should be know what all the things are to have the people. um that do have skill, but we know to right. We know how to get them. We know where to go. It's going to save a lot of things. Yeah. Before we back, get vigilantes. Back, back from the rabbit trail of that. My, no, my mistake. So, no, you're fine. It's all good. It's all good. Um, back to Nehemiah, though, thinking about other kind of attributes or competencies he's learned. Um, as the cupbearer, he's learned how to analyze a situation and prepare a plan. Oh. Uh, so a cupbearer is not just a guy who drinks a little bit of wine to make sure it's not poisoned. There's more to that job than that. And so he's he's got to have, a, he's got to prepare a plan and analyze the situation. Another defining characteristic, and I love this one because, and I brought it up a little bit, this first class noticer, this observation right. person. Um, they have a broader vision of the field for leadership action and see a wider range of options for leadership choices than non-leaders. Uh, just being able to see the bigger picture helps, mm. right? Um, and you can train that too, to just what do you see? Just ask yourself that when you're in a situation, uh, whether you know it's at church, work, school, family, what do I see? And I'm not talking like, oh, I see a plant in the corner. Right. I, what do you see about interactions? What do you see about uh, strengths and and liabilities and opportunities and and weaknesses and things like that? What are you noticing about people's interaction? Are you noticing oh, that person doesn't seem quite as bubbly today as they did last week? What's I wonder what's going on? And just being able to follow that up, um, you know, and and noticing comes in different perspectives. So some of us are really good noticers of people. Some are really good noticers in, in reports. And I, it seems ridiculous, but if you have a financial report and you're really good at noticing a little detail that's out of place, you can see, oh, I see a discrepancy. Yeah. You're not that person with the, the financial reports. No, but I am really good at noticing people. And so I notice which people are good at that sort of kind of things. And those are the people that I look at the report. So see, and there, that's, also super helpful because i know myself and noticing people's skills and attributes so that you can place them in the right positions <laughs> or ask for help maybe that's not your skill set that's okay whose is it find whose skill it is that you need help with right which we'll also get into in nehemiah yes yes um with his own life on the line and this is one of the things about nehemiah's leadership is that it's life and death this king could have his head any day of the week, right? And so, but in that situation, that crucible, he's a quick learner who knows how to articulate a plan, command people, and pay attention to details. It goes right hand in hand with what we've been talking about this whole time. 
Um, and I love this quote from the book. He never enjoys the luxury of calling together a focus group before making a decision. <laughs> now, yeah. there are times in our lives in situations that making unilateral decisions is not helpful. Okay. But in the urgency of a given situation, you know, I think of it um, in the moment, maybe at a kettle in the Salvation Army Christmas season, right? Or in the moment uh, in a in a business meeting where a decision has to be made right now because it's urgent, then yeah, maybe a unilateral decision is important. But sometimes it's helpful. Like I found out this afternoon I was having uh, a very informal impromptu meeting. It wasn't even a meeting. It was just a bunch of people gathered together after a meal, chit-chatting, that I actually have some resources in my congregation that I did not know I had people-wise. Oh, so I might need I might have a different solution for a problem that I thought I had the right solution for that I'm mm -hmm. pivoting, changing direction now because I've learned new information. So don't be afraid to ask questions and learn. And sometimes uh, you have to pivot. Sometimes you have to make a decision based on new information. And that's that's honestly just as important as being decisive is knowing if that decision was wrong and being able to to back it up a little bit and say, you know what? I was wrong. I didn't have enough information. I have more information now. This is now the new plan. So there you go. All right. He knows, Nehemiah knows how to adapt to a crisis. Think about it. If a cupbearer finds out about a conspiracy to kill the king, guess what he has to do? Tell the king, tell the guards, yeah. figure out a plan. I don't want to have to do that, but sometimes you have to adapt in crisis. Sometimes your building is suddenly flooding and you've got to come up with a plan in that crisis. Or sometimes your heating went out or your, uh, there's, this has happened a couple of times. Our walk-in freezer just dies. Okay. What's your, what are you going to do? What's your plan? All that food's going to go bad. If you don't do something, what's your plan? And be able to, adapt mm -hmm. you have to sometimes be a crisis manager and some days that is unpleasant but sometimes that's how that works um and finally it says nehemiah, nehemiah learns how to be accountable for the results of his work and frankly that can be some of the harder parts of leadership is yeah. is owning so i i i cannot remember who told me this probably my father possibly somebody else, but that you will always get more blame than is due you. Like you get more blame than you're, than you should get when something goes wrong, especially as a leader, but you also get far more praise than you should get when things go well. Mm -hmm. So really you should take all the blame when things go wrong and spread the praise when things go right. Because at the end of the day, if you're the leader if you're the actual leader, not a leader in a in a subordinate position, although I will tell you that owning up to mistakes is a vitally important skill set as a wannabe leader, as a developing leader, because if you can't own your mistakes, yeah, who would trust you with more more authority or more more responsibilities? Is it hard? <laughs> Heck yeah, it's not fun to own up to mistakes. I think you were telling me about something you read about a a guy who got yes promoted right yeah yep 
he got promoted because he owned up to his mistake. Yeah. And worked through, like navigated, like how to deal with that mistake. Mm-hmm. Like the fall, navigated the fallout of that mistake. So important. Good stuff. So yeah, so I guess um the takeaways of this would be to, you know, to think about um and we said this before, but where where are you leading? And everyone has a small sliver of that somewhere. Absolutely. Where is your where is your authority? Mm-hmm. Um how do you analyze right your work? Yep. Analyzing situations, right? Um I think I would even add to that. Um, know your response triggers. Yeah. Who are you and who do you want to be? <laughs> right. How do we get there? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and how do you articulate what you need? Right. And so, all of these things can be, can be improved upon. Like you can mm-hmm. improve, you can work on it, you can get better at it. And I will tell you that what my experience has been uh, and it's ironic that we're reading a book about it, but it's usually not by reading the book. Right? <laughs> it's, it's about, which is ironic because I know we're reading a book, but the idea of doing it in situations and doing it when it's hard, especially when you have to admit mistakes or especially when you have to ask for help, when you feel like you should already know. Um, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to not know all the things. You're going to mm-hmm. walk into situations as a leader, as well as even a not leader, that you just don't know all the things. And it's okay to ask. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to ask uh, skill sets from mm-hmm. people around you that you can say, hey, I don't know the, I don't know anything about this thing, this X thing. This X thing needs fixing or needs dealing with or needs whatever. Who can, who has some skill sets in this thing, right? And mm-hmm. being able to, to make that plan work. Now, Nehemiah's situation is unique because he has to be a little bit authoritarian in the context that he's in, right? Because he can't pull together a focus group. He can't pull together necessarily as a cupbearer all of the extra people around him. Now, we're going to see that change as he moves contexts, right? As he changes geography as he changes what he's doing what is what his aim is what his goal is and that works in our lives too what where where you are now compared to where you were five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago or i I don't know how any how old people are who listen to this but it's going to look different in the in the context that you're in and so you have to also adapt to what are you doing where are you at who are who is around you that sort of thing so final thoughts Amanda? I mean, yeah, I, uh, I kind of got one. Okay. Uh, or I kind of said one. Okay. So I don't mean to take this too long, okay. but I love old movies, okay. particularly the Criterion Collection. Are you familiar at all with the Criterion Collection? Kind of film noir, 1930s, 40s. Okay kind of stuff and there's this movie called the admiral the admiral crichton and this i don't know what's just brought this up but this movie is about this uh this really fancy 
family, very rich on a yacht, and they bring their butler on some kind of excursion, and they get um, a big storm hits, and they get stranded, shipwrecked. Okay. And um, in this in this scene, um, the the whole hierarchy goes because the butler is the only person who has any skill. Okay. So it's the it's like the butler, the master of the house, the missus of the house, their two daughters, and then the two daughters' fiancés. And he is the only one. So they're trying to like have a uh, uh, a dinner, like a fancy dinner on the beach in the sand with like the china and the candlesticks that he fished away. Uh, and eventually the butler guy says, oh, James Barry is the butler. He says, <laughs> this isn't going to work. We have to change the dynamic, the way that the leadership structure has been set up is is no longer working and we have to adapt and so he doesn't he actually ends up becoming the governor of the island and um you know i was just thinking about in leadership sometimes we can get stuck in these things that we think are supposed to work um and but we got to be honest with our surroundings right so yes. trying to have a an old English dinner with fine china on a stranded lagoon beach is just not functional. And so the whole movie is actually about power to, or um, societal expectations versus skill. It's very so if you ever go and see it, it's from 1957. Uh, no, it is. That's fantastic. But but it just it's just the thinking of <coughs> how does leadership develop, right? Right, and um. Everyone had to change who they thought they were in the movie. That makes sense. Um, based on based on the need. Mm -hmm. And in this we see Nehemiah developing. He never he from moving from servant to leader. Um, but in our own lives, right? God is, I think, continually calling us to be um more than we think we are. Mm. Absolutely. And and to um to pay attention to those nudges. Yeah. Right. What is bothering you in the world or, um, you know, we can do something Yeah. when we pray first and ask God to be the leader. Amen. Good stuff. There's so much more, but it is definitely past time, but we will continue this conversation next week. Friends, thank you so much for listening, uh, especially those of you who have been kind of with us since the beginning. Hopefully we continue to bring material that you appreciate. Um, we always welcome comments and feedback. And especially if you, you know, use like Spotify or Amazon, if you want to leave a review, we love to listen to it. We love to read those. So uh, feel free to drop us one of those. Um, that would be helpful. So friends, continue reading through Nehemiah, continue praying. Um, and remember that God blesses us. Why? Because we can be a blessing to others. So we can be back to others. <laughs> they both work. For 74 episodes. <laughs> it's late, okay? Yeah, it's late. It is late. Be a blessing to others, friends. We'll catch you guys next time.